No. I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, welcome to today's podcast episode. We have a unique podcast today where we will actually be discussing a few news stories. We'll have a few highlights from previous episodes. And uh, inshallah, we can keep moving the discussion forward. We can keep learning. We can keep growing. Uh, we can keep uh, making some deep introspection, inshallah ta'ala. So with us today, we have Sister Rabia. Inshallah, she ha- has some uh, new stories which uh, we want to discuss uh, and talk about, inshallah, and hopefully get um, some more insight than what mainstream media usually gives us on these types of news stories. So, Sister Rabia, assalamu alaikum. Warahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. All right, so let's get right into it. What do you want to talk about? Okay, so first off, I want you to imagine a scenario. Imagine that you're an Uber driver, you've been getting the hang of it, you've been doing it for a while, and now you're recommending it to your friends. So your mm. friend, how John many stars said, do I have? Oh, um, you're at 4.8, so you're doing pretty okay, well. So pretty good, pretty yeah, good. Well, peep, so you, so yeah, peep, people understand. Peep, peep, do people uh, enjoy my special uh, mints that I have? I get them from, uh, what is it, that green tea mints? Remember yeah, the ones yeah, auntie gives? Cool. The ones auntie has for like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that can yeah. cure, that can cure the, uh, like any flu. And I don't know if she says it can cr- cure the coronavirus. Yeah. They, they actually discontinued them. She wanted to go to Aberdeen and come up, but they're gone. So okay. no cure for us. So okay. yeah, you have extra points for hospitality there. Um, okay. So so you're telling your friend John Smith. You tell him, um, you know, don't worry. You're going to get a lot of cancellations in the beginning, but just keep working at it. You'll be fine. Um, but it turns out that he actually didn't face any of the cancellations that you did. And mm. you continue to face them, you know, sometimes there's no reason for it, but he's doing fine. He's thriving. And it turns out that actually in 2016, this was a very real scenario where Uber drivers with like ethnic sounding names or black sounding names were double likely to actually have their rides canceled compared to people mm. with white sounding. Names. And this is the same across men and women. Now, when you hear this, you think, okay, well, that's like typical. It's human bias. It's racist bias. Like you kind of expect that. And um, instead, you might think, okay, if they had like this algorithmic pricing model that's bias free, then like this kind of stuff will happen because they just price things and they create rides and things like that just based on an algorithm. So it's just a computer program. But it turns out that actually in an article by Salon, so just um, just a couple days ago, they found that actually this like dynamic pricing model, it's supposed to be bias free, was actually charging different money for people who lived in like particular neighborhoods. So mm. predominantly um, non-white neighborhoods um, were charged more for their rides. And they actually compared um, education status as well. So people with higher education 
or lower income were charged differently. So they kind of responded to this and were like, oh, well, that's just, um, you know, it's based on speed. Um, it's based on um, distance. It's not based on any kind of other bias. But mm. this isn't the first time it's happened. Like even in um, the Princeton Review, so they used to charge for like test taking services and they would charge Asian American students much more than they would charge white students. And so really like what we're finding is that there's so much bias embedded in these systems. And even right now, when you look at protesters, um, they're actually getting arrested based on like facial recognition. But it turns out that it's actually incorrect in terms of a lot of black individuals are just um, mistaken for other people. So there's so much bias in that where so many like criminals, quote unquote, are um, incorrectly identified. So what I wanted to ask you was essentially, mm -hmm. What do you think? Do you think that there's a possibility for like a bias free, you know, technological program? Um, do you think that like Sophia, the Saudi, ro Saudi robot is capable mm -hmm. of better? What do you think? Yeah. So, so Sophia, the Saudi robot. <laughs> um, so the, uh, the before we get into it, like these algorithms, uh, they claim to be impartial, correct? Unbiased mm -hmm. and impartial. Uh, yet we are seeing continued bias and in con in continuous uh, unfairness, a lack of partiality. Uh, so um, I think the question arises: uh, Did these programs uh, manifest spontaneously in a vacuum? How did these programs come about? Well, I mean, it, you know, it's funny. They were all created by somebody, an actual human. Yeah. So it was created, right? So these programs didn't evolve uh, from a primordial soup. You know, these programs were created by human beings. Unlike human beings, right, according to uh, atheists, where we came randomly. But these computer programs, okay, they were designed they they, yeah. they they had to be designed so computer programs which had to be designed by human beings who have biases uh now we see the reflection of that in their work right uh, of um what they have created um because even though uh the company's mission or the philosophy Maybe that, oh, we don't want these biases to be in place. We don't want these stereotypes to be in place. We want it to be completely uh, impartial. We do see now a reflection of that uh, facial recognition re recognition software starting with that. Uh, it's been starting to use in um, law enforcement, and we see some of the effects that it, that it is having. It's uh, incorrectly identifying you know people of color especially. And um, again, people are saying it's because of the uh, programmers, the people who are involved aren't people of color, right? So it's much more accurate, actually, when they've done the studies, they find that it's much more accurate in identifying, you know, um, the people essentially that reflect the demographic of the programmer, which makes sense, right? It just makes sense. You come at things from your worldview, from your perspective. So I think when we start seeing this, even with the, the, the whole case of the Uber drivers and how it's, um, you know, selectively, uh, you know, stacking the deck against um, drivers of color. Or if you look at this, 
you know, Princeton review thing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, how is this designed? Is it designed by people who have these stereotypes is designed by people who have these biases and because they, they are the designers now, they have their, uh, their thoughts, their ideas embedded within these programs, right? And uh, if we look at, I think if we take even a step further back and we look at big tech, right? So big tech was supposed to be, so if we look at the uh, controversy with Facebook and the elections, big tech was supposed to be like the whole idea was hey, just like how the internet brought the people together when people started connecting to the internet and we were able to subvert power structures and we were able to you know, talk to each other and it would be more of a true democracy. It would be you know, a true uh, sense of freedom of speech and people could exchange ideas without uh, having Big Brother watch over them. Uh, you know, Big Tech took on that type of persona. So big tech said, hey, listen, yeah, we care about people. We care about these ideals. Hey, we don't look like those evil guys in business suits and, uh, you know, cigars and trying to take over the world. And they're extremely wealthy. Uh, look at me in my hoodie. And like we're just like you We're you know, we like to hang out and chill and all of these different things. But as we've discovered, uh, you know, money corrupts and. Uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So now you have these people who uh, claim to have, and, and no one ever claims to be evil, by the way. No one ever claims to be, oh, I want, I'm power hungry. I'm going to ma- maintain my vestiges of authority and, and all that. No one ever claims that. Everyone says, like, everyone tells you that they're a benevolent leader or benevolent, benevolent ruler. You just have to buy my product only, right? You have to buy what I'm selling exclusively and you'll be okay. So uh, big tech just overtook that. They just, you know, they they replaced that position of those people who were classically that you used to look on as like being these, um, the old guard, you know, essentially. And the demographics really didn't change with big tech. You know what I mean? Like it's still the same demographics type of people and the same types of people are being oppressed. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like you are getting any real big uh, types of changes um, in in terms of like now how uh, the structures, how people within these structures function, you know? So, um, yeah, like uh, it's it's one of those um, things that I think it's a reflection of like a greater systemic issue uh, of that. um you know, when you have people in, the, in these levels of authority, um, they feel that uh, they their judgment is beyond reproach, perhaps, and that their judgment uh, is relatively um, going to be fair because they're looking at it from their perspective, right? And so, uh, whether you some of this is can be much more dangerous and problematic because. As we become more and more reliant upon technology, as we become more and more reliant upon um, this integrated in absolutely every aspect of our life, like technology being integrated in law enforcement to that extent, where maybe you're going to have just even an uh, algorithm as a judge, right? Like you could have now an investigation, like you look at all the nuances 
that go into making, um, like say in law enforcement, you have to have context. Uh, you know, they used to look into motive a lot. Now it becomes less and less of a factor. But unfortunately, but that's a big thing, right? Because you want, you understand human beings. You don't treat human beings like, you know, a um, feelingless robot, you know, in an empty shell. So the way we would look at law enforcement, we would be like, okay, hey, uh, what's the motive? Did they have opportunity to do this? Uh, what's the physical evidence? So they would look at all these different things. They will look at the context. They would interview the suspect. They would interview other people. You make your case based upon that. But then if you try to just simplify and automate things, uh, it inherently leads to dysfunction because your, you know, human beings, our society is actually very intricate. You know, it has a lot of nuances within it. And, you know, if you think an algorithm is just going to come and you just say, oh, I'm just going to need to plug in more and more variables to make it better, then you become increasingly reliant upon it. And then you realize actually when you when you function within it, how different it is from theory and reality. You know, like I I've dealt with certain companies that have an, like a high level of automation. So everything is very highly automated and it is like the worst experience to deal with these with these companies it is so bad because everybody when you talk to a human being they're like i've been given three functions that i'm allowed to do if i go outside of these three functions i can't think so they're actually taught not to think algorithms teach you not to think it teaches you, it teaches you too much automations gets you to defer your responsibility you know what i mean so now like whoever's working at Uber, whoever's working at law enforcement, they're saying, hey, impartial, defer responsibility. Yeah. We just whatever the algorithm tells us. And I think that is the most dangerous thing is that if we're trying to overcome bias and stereotyping, we actually shouldn't run away from our humanity. You know what I mean? If we weren't trying to end biases, if we're trying to end racism, we're trying to end stereotype. People think we got to become less human beings, like we have to run away from our humanity, make it more impartial, look at people in a very superficial, like, you know, who, what, where, away, you know, that's it, you know. No, we need to come more closer to our fitra, right, what we were uh, created for. We have to come more in touch with our humanity. We should come in more in touch with our hearts. You know, we should come in more in touch with like be becoming uh, a, a complete human being where we have a sense of humility. We have a sense of humbleness. We uh, we have a sense of caring and mercy and all of these different types of things. We need to embody more of those things. We have to have more of that. Like, you know, look, look at the way the Islamic approach is for judging things. Our Rasul, he says that if a judge uh, has a uh, choice, right, between... Um, you know, giving the punishment and forgiveness, right? Like if he has to err, so if he has mm -hmm. to make a like, he's not quite sure and he has to err on one side, should err on mercy and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right. So like that's, that's, that's telling the human being like, listen, your judgments aren't going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. But if you're going to have a philosophy, if you're going to have somewhere you're going to lean towards, lean towards forgiveness. And another hadith of Rasulullah, he says that, you know, the, the one who, who, who makes like uh, a decision or ruling, that if he's correct in his ruling, he gets two rewards. Okay, if he gets correct, he's two rewards. If he's incorrect, he still gets one reward. 
because it goes down assuming that your niya is good. So as long as your intention, your heart is good, we are not expected to be perfect. But that system is better than, uh, you know, thinking that you can make a perfect system. You understand what I'm saying? So inherently, we appreciate like the Islamic system. See, uh, that's why if people truly study Islam, they understand the depthness that Islam has. Because you'll have people who look at all religion and Islam as uh, within that same group that uh, we have a problem with critical thought and we're just blind followers and, and all of these different things. I would put forth that everyone within their own ideology, they're very they're blind followers. Whoever like like champions for their particular ideology, they're they believe in it or else they wouldn't be following it. You can't doubt that. You can't function on a day to day basis. Like for example, if you're a nihilist and you believe that nothing is real, you can't function like that because you can't go out every day. It's like, oh, is today real or not? Is that car crossing the street real or not? Uh, and I'm just going to cross because maybe it's not real, you know. So it doesn't make, uh, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to question your belief every day, like your core beliefs every day. You can't function like that, right? Should you think about it deeply on a regular basis or, you know, somewhat regular basis? Yes. Okay. But you can't be a, like a functioning, healthy human being if you always do that. But look at the process of how we look at the world. If we look at the world, we understand that our, we might have a belief that there's no doubt in that belief. But we realize with our practice that there can be mistakes and there can be some type of imperfections. And we are okay with that as long as our core values always guide us to minimize harm. Mm -hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, for example, when a doctor treats a patient, there's always a risk. You know, if you understand medicine, you'll realize mm -hmm. every treatment has a risk associated with it. But you, it's not like every day you stop treating your patients because of the risk, that because it's not perfect, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, same thing with, uh, you know, the deen of Islam. Like, if we, when we try to automate things and people don't take responsibility, you know, when people don't take, hey, listen, if... If my core value is to be just and merciful with everyone under my responsibility, say, for example, Uber, or if you have, you know, the heads of law enforcement, then it is a very dangerous thing to automate things because then you're deferring responsibility, like to that level. Does that mean you have no automation? No, we, we, we should have automation, but we have to understand that, you know, as we mentioned before at the beginning, that the, that automation will have inherent flaws and you have to like own that. You have to own those flaws. You know what I mean? It's because it's when we become arrogant, then you see people repeating the same types of mistakes that we try to deal with in society. So if we deal with like, you know, if, like I said, in the past um, few hundred years prior to big tech, you had a certain idea of like, you know, the, the, the power structures and the types of people in power and the types of ways that they would oppress different peoples, whether it was Aboriginal people, when you have colonialists coming over and taking over lands, or if you have capitalists and so forth that are exploiting like crazy amounts of people, as long as they keep their home populations satiated, they're able to like, doesn't matter like, you know, if they go to South America, if they go to Bangladesh, if they go to Africa and they just, you know, get this cheap labor, uh, you know, another form of slavery so they can, you know, have uh, a certain lifestyle. Those types of oppressive pra structural practices, 
that'll just continue with like you know these people of uh, of big tech, right? So um, yeah, I, I I feel that um, these uh, it's no surprise to me with these algorithms because from a Muslim perspective, above all, we you know we have to take that responsibility and we have these core value values that need to permeate in everything and absolutely everything that we do. You know, it's funny. I you think disagree? Um, Tell me, give me your comments. What do you think? No, I mean, I agree with you. I think especially the point, um, I mean, in, in regards to automation too, I think it's interesting because even when you talk about people's experiences, when they call into companies and they have to go through a robot, it, they're mm. so much more frustrated than actually talking to a real person. It makes such yeah. a difference, like the yeah. quality that you, you deserve or like you get as well. Um, but no, I mean, I, I fully agree with you. I think there has to be that balance, but I think that we put, it's funny because we put so much trust in these algorithms to be like impartial, um, that there's no bias. And then there's also a very, very heavy slant right now on people saying things that, you know, are morally correct and morally upstanding and they get fired for, for all these sorts of things. So there's a really heavy focus on that, but then we also have this faith and technology to also be able to do that. It's, it's very interesting, but yeah, it's, it, we can become empty shells. You know, yeah. when we look at just communication in general, like with this automation you mentioned, like, you know, calling people up, going through a company and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, you, if you regulate, okay, there could be a certain level of questions that could just be answered through, like, say, a process of automation. You know, that's that's fine, but when you're too reliant on that and you're just, you're, you're not, you're not focused. Like for example, if a company is focused not on the customer experience, but their own efficiencies, right. Mm -hmm. Then, uh, within their own bubble, obviously, um, they may be developing a certain type of reputation. There may be making better sense for their, uh, stakeholders and, and whatnot. They're, uh, able to increase their revenues perhaps. Yeah. But, on a now a more macro level, when you look at if so many different types of these companies are doing that, we as human beings aren't are, are that's causing a dysfunction in our communication. So if you notice now, um, you know we we aren't as good as at communicating with one another. You know, managing conflict. Uh, we're not taught about like you know before historically uh, in many societies, especially from an Islamic perspective, manners. Okay. So akhlaq, manners, your character, very important. Like, you know, how you present yourself with, with to one another, even to a person you, you wholeheartedly disagree with, mm -hmm. even with a person that you hate, perhaps, that you still uh, present yourself and you still give that person a certain level of manners and you speak and, in a certain way. And that's the art of communication. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, we lose that. I think we're losing that uh, with you know a lot of the technology that we have, because communication, if you in its essence, if we look at it, language communication, this is what uh, gives human beings. This is what gives uh, the children of Adam salam like their power to grow and move forward. You know, mm -hmm. like if you look at the Quran, the the greatest form of communication, Kalam Allah. You know the the speech of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that uplifted, guided humanity. That's communication. You, you know what I mean? That is Allah uh, communicating to His creation. Uh, you know, if you look at us in Salah, 
you know, one of the greatest. If that's like communic- your, your Lord is communicating with you, you're communicating with, with your Lord. So communication is like that is like the essence of uh, of like uh, of human civilization, mm-hmm. and we're instead of enhancing that and making that better, we're looking at it from like a soulless perspective. Like, how do we make it more efficient? Right. You know what I mean? Like, how do we make it more like? No, that's it's not about the efficiency. It's about the quality. It's about okay, what is the result out of? this communication that we have with with one another you know subhanallah like you can see sometimes more from a look right like that's why for example smiling is a sunnah Mm -hmm. smiling is sadaqah okay think about like that's a deep hadith like when you look at these teachings in islam Mm -hmm. you know that that smiling is a charity like smiling you're essentially communicating with people but you're communicating a very powerful message when you smile to somebody you know what I mean? And that's way more powerful than like an emoji or way more powerful than a text and, and things like that. Sometimes you can say like thousands and thousands of pages of text in one look. You know what I mean? So, um, so, so yeah, this, this, this whole idea of um, automating things, mm-hmm. you know, we have to understand that it's a double-edged sword. You know what I mean? So it's not like I'm against that. But, you know, for example, I feel that how are we going to be, how are we going to preserve authenticity in a clause? That's an important concept in Islam, is sincerity in a clause. So with social media, with all of these different things, how are we sincere in our communication? How do we, how do we keep and maintain a level of sincerity in, in what we do with authenticity? This is who you truly are. You know what I mean? So like, and that's why I, 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 I because I'm, I, I'm from a generation where we didn't have internet, then we saw internet come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we saw like, we didn't have social media, then we saw social media come in. Uh, we, we had these like, you know, archaic chat programs. And then we saw like, you know, things where it's like, you know, text to speech. And you know what I mean? Like, you right. saw all this thing, all of these things come in. And I realized right at the beginning, it's hard to be authentic when you're hide, hiding behind these things. I, I'd, I'd rather have a conversation, have a coffee with a person, even if that person disagrees with me. Like, I would rather, that's why you have these echo chambers, you have these bubbles that are formed because, you know, these algorithms actually put you in these bubbles. You understand what I'm saying? Like, algorithms have been increasing biases. You know what I mean? Because yeah. the algorithm isn't designed like, you know, going back to the point if we're going making full circle, with social media algorithms are designed for you to be in an echo chamber right that's what how algorithms are designed so you tell me how algorithms are going to like take away biases when we see like the greatest way now that people connect with either with each other is social media and inherently the the structural function of that is for you to like magnify your biases that's what i was gonna say actually i was gonna say that um it's interesting you had mentioned that algorithms teach you not to think but i would argue even further they teach you not to think but they teach you what to think so it's like when you are Mm -hmm. scrolling on these social media sites they basically um 
teach you what to regulate as priority because they'll change the way they show things on your newsfeed based on like just what what you should pay attention to what you should prioritize and that's insane because sometimes we don't even realize it's happening but it's telling mm. us what to pay attention to what to consider important i think also your yeah. point in just in general in terms of it dehumanizes connections between humans which is insane but it's really mm. about making it such a product and not actually something that's authentic and real but yeah Yeah, I think about the way people think and behave on on social media like if you were to say that to a person in, in real life it becomes uh very difficult because it is very hard in reality to um to not acknowledge or feel another person's humanity. Yeah. You you know what I mean when when people you know say and do things online they're disconnected from the effect like what you say like for example if i were to say this something to somebody and i could look into their eyes and i could see the pain in their eyes you have to be a sociopath not to feel anything you know what i mean so there's a dysfunction so so either uh you know th- this type of uh you know pathology right mental pathology is now becoming exponentially uh, prevalent in society or the medium which we're doing like w- which we're engaging with each other is fostering you know that type of um that type of mindset or that type of um uh pathology within our communication absolutely so we're going to pivot on to another new story if you're ready sure. for it okay sure. okay great okay so um i want you to think about in terms of you know why were when Europeans came over we talked about colonization earlier and so yes. when the Europeans did come over what was one of the ways they were able to justify um you know some of the atrocities that they did um you know end up enacting what was they described the people in a certain way why um why were they able to do that like how did they justify it so uh when, when uh, what specifically are you referring to it's a bit broad okay so yeah. So for example, they describe the condition of a people in a certain way and so basically the structures that they put in um in terms of things like residential schools um oh, Okay, so or, like or, looking at people as savages exactly less right. evolved or um you know people who uh were mis- completely misguided. Yeah. So is that is that what you're referring to? Yes, exactly, right. Even the first prime minister of Canada you know Sir John A Macdonald literally referred to them as the Indian problem and as savages. So in that sense they were able to basically moralize it and say well their savages were helping them um mm. you know white man's burden. Exactly, exactly. And you know it's really interesting cuz sometimes people really separate that attitude towards just like a colonial attitude towards you know a century ago and that's not something that exists now but it's actually um something that's a lot of news stories particularly i think you know in 2020 it seems to be like the year of skeletons coming out of the closet um mm. and and attention being forced on these things and they found that in a lot of european countries this is actually a really really big issue and one of the biggest stories that's actually come out is in um berlin and what mm. they found was that um so there's a psychology professor in the 1970s and he had an experiment that he wanted to conduct and he basically what he did was he would take um they would take homeless children in west berlin and they would intentionally place them with men who are known to be pedophiles and his mm-hmm. argue or his argument rather was these men would be really loving foster parents um because they have a preoccupation with children and um 
he basically was convinced that this type of contact between like an adult and a child was harmless and that it's morally okay. And, you know, that was, that would be something if it was just something he conceived of, but this experiment actually continued for 30 years. Um, and it mm. wasn't just like him working in silo. They actually found it was an entire network of basically educational institutions, the state youth welfare office, and the Berlin state in which pedophilia was accepted, supported, defended. So this continued mm. for years. And the only reason that they actually decided to look into it again, because they were accused of kind of covering this up, was because victims had come forward and talk about this mm. again. And then other countries and individuals had gotten involved to really shed light on it. And mm. like this happened, we can even see this back um, you know, back in the 80s and 90s with um, Marc Dutroux. So he was um, a Belgian convicted child molester and um, murderer. And so Belgium is obviously just, um, you know, country over. But what they found with him too is they actually hid this entire network between police officers, state institutions of him being able to be covered up for this crime and not just him, a network of a pedophilia ring. And the only reason that they actually paid attention and actually charged him was 300,000 citizens actually marched against it. But in their mm. eyes, it wasn't something that was like morally inappropriate. And even, you know, we see this with um, when we kind of, go backwards towards um, colonization in general. They did this um, kind of repeatedly throughout with indigenous children, but particularly when you look at like the 60s scoop, they would take children and place them in foster homes with people who were known sex offenders. And mm. so, you know, I wanted to ask you in terms of, you know, you're looking at this and you're looking at the sliding scale of morality and, you know, who's considered valuable and who isn't. Um, and I want to get your comments on that because we we tend to think that, you know, we're in 2020 now, there's been a progression of morality, um, mm. but, you know, that doesn't exactly seem to be the case. So, you know, what, what would you say about that? Mm. Yeah, I think uh, in, in terms of um, looking at it from a broad perspective, I feel that um, the the impetus for this, or you could say the justification, the moral justification, why these things are allowed to um, play out is moral relativism. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have a, an absolute uh, uh, form of morality that stays consistent, okay? So when you have this idea, and, and this stems from liberal ideology that um you know when you when you're looking at okay as as human beings we're looking at the fulfillment of the needs of these indi of individuals and then you become now more and more reliant on quote unquote say even science or studies or uh institutions uh, that you have in, in place okay so you have institutions in place that you support perhaps certain policies whether it's educational institutions. So uh, you have maybe studies or a scientist that justifies a certain policy, okay? So let's, let's, let's just take this idea of moral relativism without going into liberal ideology and all that stuff. So these kids that were uh, homeless children that were placed in these, uh, you know, uh, these homes of these pedophiles, would they ever um, be in that situation if, by virtue of their homelessness, obviously they're in an impoverished situation, okay? And mostly, most likely the communities that they're coming from is impoverished, okay? So if you had like, um, 
like um, a Bruce Wayne situation where your his parents died, but he's a millionaire, multimillionaire. He's not going to be put in a pedophile right. home. Okay. So these people, so that they're, they're willing to do that with these homeless children. Okay. Um, because they don't, again, uh, of their position. Okay. They're able to take advantage of that position. So when I say absolute morality for us, uh, you know, the, the Quran and the Sunnah, we have these uh, sources that um, are fixed in place. Some of the understanding, obviously, uh, there's differences within scholars and, and so forth, but the core principles are in place, right? You're never going to have anyone that would accept uh, differential justice for rich and, and poor and, and all of these different things, right? As outlined in the last khutbah of Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. There you have an example of moral relativism. You look at uh, the uh, children of uh, First Nations people being placed in uh, these homes, taken away. Again, moral relativism. They're not going to go and take that away from uh, people who are wealthy or people who um, maybe are... Uh, their demographic is reflective of the power structures. You understand what I'm saying? More relativism. Uh, you have now a person who comes up with a scientific study. And science, you know, just so that people appreciate, because science is misused and abused. The word science, the concept of science is misused and abused. Uh, probably like by atheists the most, and then, you know, others afterwards, right, to justify whatever they want. Science, it's changing. Science is what we know at that time. Science is a, just a methodology of us to try to come to know and to understand. We know it's not absolute and fixed knowledge, nor does it give us morality. Science does not give you morality. So if a person were to come up with a stu study to show that, science does not give you the morality to do that. You know what I mean? And we see that, like, even with the concept of, uh, of uh, you know, sex uh, and love, it's it's been like a relative definition now. You know what I mean? Like, it's used interchangeably. Uh, it's used, like, there's no fixed idea about these things, okay? That's why you look at things that were one day morally abhorrent and today they are well accepted and, and well uh, widely popularized, right? And then, you know, tomorrow something else can become uh, popularized or what's today could be morally abhorrent. You know what I mean? Right. So it can be very, con for, for us, I mean, we look at it from a, a complete perspective because we always, I always look at it from like, okay, what is the, the core way of looking at it instead of just chasing things down? Oh, okay, these corrupt people, uh, allowed this to occur. So, yeah, we can solve that issue in that from that time and place in that moment. Mm -hmm. But now, how do we, like, we should look at ourselves as healers. You know what I mean? Rather than just people who cure things. You know what I mean? Oh, I have the cure. Everyone has the cure. You know, everyone's opinion is the cure. You know what I mean? Right. We should look at it as, like, healing. How do we bring healing about? So, for me, when I look at this, I look at this from a perspective of this idea of this uh, of moral relativism. Your moral, your morality can change with you know time periods. Your morality can change based on your location. Your morality can based on the person you're engaging with. 
what if a person has no recourse against you to get to 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 seek justice it is it is absolutely impossible for society at large okay to not take advantage of people like that it is absolutely impossible to do that like you'll have like some people who might you know feel too guilty but it's it's impossible to do that we have to understand that having taqwa of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala having this consciousness of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala having the fear of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has proven time and time again in our history when people upheld that 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 allows you to be uh, consistent with your morality that allows you to look at the quran and the sunnah that looks at uh, what allah and his messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam have guided you to it makes you stay consistent with that it doesn't you know make you you know change based on what suits your individualistic desire because obviously there could be people within power structures who had this type of desire they like every how many scientists comes out with studies and opinions all the time yeah. you know all the time all the time but they took this guy's study they took this guy's thing and say hey wait a minute you might have a point here like because what it is why is what's going on there it's like you know uh you have a personal desire you have an individualistic desire to do something and so now you're going to use some type of justification well this is this is human nature people always try to use virtuous reasons for individualistic reason, for uh individualistic drives you know so uh you know when we look at the way indigenous populations have been treated you're using this like virtuous reason like oh we're going to educate we're going to uplift these people you know all these different things and yet you have like uh you know sex abuse you have uh you know them being traumatized uh psychological uh trauma emotional trauma physical trauma so you have people going through all this level of uh you know trauma and they have no one like decades later now when society has changed okay now let's be morally relative and let's now um you know call those people out you know what i mean we need to do that in every time period we need to be able to do this in every time period we shouldn't just put our like uh support behind put our vote behind something that is already popularized you know like now people are speaking out of, uh, against racism and all of these other things but people were silent before as long as it doesn't affect you yeah. uh i'm 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 silent but now things are popularized you're okay now it's that's what i'm talking about moral relativism does not show a person is sincere doesn't show that we're authentic people you know if we want to go to that concept of authenticity so these imagine that the, the a state sanctioned level of abuse that occurs state level sanctioned level of abuse and that, and that's what's wrong with when when people they um they allow themselves either by like an algorithm or by a system to right. think and uh tell them how they should behave and act and so forth you know i, I th- that's why truly like if we come to the deen of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there's like from from an islamic perspective truly uh nobody is above you know the quran and the sunnah no one is above that So even you know the highest leader like Muslim Islamic leader has to you know subjugate themselves to that they can't go in and and, and oppress individuals or or people you know mm-hmm.
So th- this is a very sad case, but I, th- I I feel that this is going to be endemic of modern society if we continue this path of moral relativism. Absolutely, I agree. It's interesting too, in terms of just even speaking like your point about science and and business and all these kinds of things people use as ideologies, but they're they're not a, a life path. And it's, even when you're studying those things, you're forced to take like ethics courses, you know, the ethics of experimentation, the ethics of this and that. And so there's a, yeah. you know, they, they understand that that component is missing, but even that curriculum is always changing. So how can you have like a regulatory body or standard that you can always ascribe to? And really, we only find that within Islam. Yes, yes. Because it, it looks at like, again, the, the, the beauty of Islam, when people truly study it and look into it, is that you have core principles. Mm-hmm. And those core principles aren't there to micromanage your life. You know what I mean? Like, that's what people, they don't appreciate and understand about Islam. And you would not have, like, uh, you know, one-fifth to one-quarter of the world's population uh, Muslim uh, and being practiced in so many diverse cultures, populations, uh, through hundreds of years, uh, and even people like it's amazing for people who have like no um, historical background from coming from Muslim family, coming and becoming very very passionate um, Muslims. How is it so diverse? How is it like so welcoming? So from people when you have such a huge media campaign to try to show that it is such a a narrow and restrictive religion how, how, how like how is that because if you live islam then you understand that there's core values and principles that direct you and guide you to be the best version of humanity and remember humanity will always be flawed in its practice mm-hmm. and islam understands that that's why we have this concept of toba that uh, you know Allah, according to hadith Rasulullah, he says that the son of Adam sins, full stop. And the best of them are the ones that repent. So it's not like denying, okay, how dare do you sin? Uh, how, you know, like, you know, how dare you think about a sin and all of these different things? Actually, if you think of a sin and you don't do it, you get a reward. If you think of a sin and you do it, you get one uh, sin against you. If you think of something good to do and you don't have the ability to do it, you still get a reward for that intention of that good deed. So, like, this, it's like the decks are stacked about uh, on, uh, and then if you think of doing a good deed and you do it, then you get, uh, you know, double the reward for that. So it's like it's stacked against getting sin, but it appreciates that you do sin. People, uh, you know, children of Adam do sin, and the best of the ones are going to repent. That's the process that we have. You know, you know what I mean? Like, it's like in your body. It's the way how you're created. Your cells are dying and rejuvenating all the time. You know, that's the essence of creation. You know, that we're always, you know, always fresh start. Bismillah. Okay, let's do this. Starting the day again. You know, from, like, it's so beautiful. Like, from Salah to Salah, your sins are being washed. You know, your many of your minor sins are being washed. Your Hajj, you're a newborn baby. Like, there's always, like, all the time, within our religion, from acts of worship, from our concept, like the idea of a fresh start. You can literally have a fresh start every day. I'm going to be better today. You know I, I mean, oh, I, I went down the line and I like fell and I tripped for this week, for this month, for these years, but I can get back on the horse. Like this is the, the, the beautiful concept of Islam. It's, it's such a natural, uh, 
If I, if I want to make up a word right now on the spot, fitraristic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> religion, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. aligned with your fitra, yeah. right? Like, like, so it's you know you have this uh, you know this this human fitra. It's like you know you're the person is imperfect. We're trying to get the best out of people out of society, and there's this huge campaign. Like there's there's huge like you know this this massive campaign that that, that people have against uh, the dean. But still, people are coming to the dean. They're still practicing it. Um, you know, you have people, even though uh, the, the 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 media, you know, the social media, the trolls, everyone is against. Like, you know, people wearing hijab, government structures. Look at you in front of me, like you know, you're, you're wearing hijab. Like, what iman? What power? What gives a person a power to do that? You understand what I'm saying? Because this is not like, you know, like for, 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 for people should appreciate that, you know, when, when people practice Islam, especially publicly, this is not counterculture popular. OK, this is not like, you know, also, you know, back in the days you had people who dressed like, um, you know, emos or goths or, you know, they would have their own like thing, like, you know, right. to be counterculture, but they have their own group and their own popularity. And they have and they're in movies, right? They're in movies, counterculture was shown in cult movies and and it becomes then it becomes mainstream popularized islamic fashion is not like that bro you know for anyone who's like (laughs) who thinks that like oh they're doing that to get attention no no live it and then you can see what you know like the the movies are popularizing our heroes and you know our people and stuff like that no what's being popularized is people who aren't even mainstream who we don't even recognize as being leaders within our community you know what i mean so yeah, like uh, we should come back and appreciate the uh, the guidance is the core values that we have uh, in Islam. So I had another story for you, if you're prepared. Okay, okay so um, this time I want you to imagine. Um, imagine you're a young girl growing up in Karachi, Pakistan, and you're you're going to go up on the roof um, of, of the house to play with your friends and your cousins. And your mom tells you, she stops you and she says, um, uh, which means don't sit in the sun, you're going to get tanner. So you're like, okay, you accept it for what it is. You, you keep that in mind. Um, and then you, know, you but, but older, you should translate it better. You should, it's like not tanner. You'll become yeah, darker. You'll, you'll become a darkie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You'll, yeah, exactly. You'll become dark and you'll essentially you'll become black. So that's fine. So that, you know, that's said to you and um, that's kind of peppered throughout your, your life as you're growing up. It comes to your, your wedding day, they're doing your makeup, they put literal like white powder on you. And then the rest of your life you spend buying fair and lovely products to kind of keep up that illusion of, um, you know, brightening your skin and, and whitening it and making, giving you a soft rung, which is essentially a clean skin. So um, that product actually um, exists, of course, as we know, it is is fair and lovely. It's a Unilever brand and it's sold um, all over South Asia. Um, Mm. And it's funny, they they actually released an article now. Um, So kind of in in 2020, they decided that they're now going to take fair out of the name of the product. Um, So Mm. instead of fair and lovely, they're just changing the name of the product, um, basically because they're saying they want to improve. uh, inject diversity into their products and be more inclusive. Um, mm. And, you know, it, it's funny that they do this, though, and it might seem like, oh, look, they're, they're really progressive, even though it is 2020. Mm-hmm. But that's... If they wanted to be that- truly progressive and call themselves out, they should actually rename the product unfair yeah. and lovely. 
They'll be honest. It's yeah. unfair, you know. Yeah, I know. If you want to be lovely, it's unfair. At least they'll be. They can be honest. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So their so their umbrella um, corporation is Unilever, which also owns Dove. Now, any person will know if you even see one Dove ad, they've bombarded over the past few years, really rebranding. So what they'll do is they'll say their tagline is love the skin you're in. They have models of all different colors and shapes and sizes and looks to to teach Mm -hmm. you that you should love yourself and everybody looks different and all those sorts of things. So they do that here, um, you know, North America and and, in Europe and things like that. But across the pond, they've been selling fair and lovely products for for decades Mm -hmm. and decades, capitalizing on people not loving the skin that they're in. and even so, men do this too, correct? Yeah, and do this absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's not just a women's issue; it's it's for for everybody. But but I, you know what's interesting about this is people look at this and kind of be like, oh, you know, these corporations are changing um, their value. They're you know becoming more progressive. They're standing with us in this movement. But um, you know, I wonder a bit about their actual motivations. And I wanted to ask you, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that corporations are becoming more, um, you know, more ethical, more progressive? Um, they care more about inclusivity. Do they actually care about us, or you know, what's going on there? The corporations, um, and maybe we can have an episode where we just go into how corporations manipulate people. I don't want to go too far into it because I think uh, I want to do the, um, do that particular topic justice, but corporations, we, we need to understand how it works and people are very naive oftentimes uh, when it comes to these different marketing campaigns, they do a massive amount of research. Corporations do a massive amount of research on what's popular, the mind uh, the zeitgeist, the uh, you know the, the the beliefs of people, the trends. Uh, they they're trying to predict trends. They're trying to set trends if they can. But more so, they're uh, they're very reactive to what's popular uh, amongst uh, amongst people. So um, one thing that's also happened we should understand is that uh, if we look at the beginning of the 20th century corporations they almost wanted to dictate to you what's good for you here's the product that you need okay then you know obviously uh as uh, the environment this the times change the culture change they realized for them to maintain their uh earnings their power they need to diversify Okay, so they need to diversify and they need to now um, sell to different groups of people rather than saying everyone should be like this. They realize, oh, people are very, very different. It's hard to get one person under this one product or lifestyle because they actually try to sell lifestyles. Mm -hmm. So now it's like, okay, here, you want to have uh, lighter skin? Here's this product for you, like lighter skin. You, you want to be proud of your body type? Okay, here's a, uh, here's a product for your body type, and there's going to be a whole ma- marketing campaign with that. So it's not based on any type of core principle, right? It's, it's based on essentially how politics works. Politics is one big corporation, like the way that they have now become, and we can see that with like the celebrity culture of politicians now. 
right? And how they run and how now it's like celebrities now run for, politi- for politics. So it's like based upon like the same type of framework where, um, you know, f- with this uh, fair and lovely product, uh, you have, okay, uh, we're selling, you know, millions and millions of dollars of this product instead of now just, hey, this is a harmful product. Even if we rebrand it to just lovely, you understand what I'm saying? Uh, you know, what does that, what does that mean? Right? Like you can, that can be a code word. That's how we all the time, like people aren't, this is how racism, by the way, evolves in society. If we, if we, if we see it, there's code words all the time, you know, this person's different or this person, um, you know, uh, is urban. (laughs) You know what I mean? The urban population. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like people, they're code words. You can just, it's because you use a different word, but most people get fooled by it. Okay. Oh yeah. You're woke now. You know, you're taking out, you know, fair from the thing and it's just lovely. And then you're going to have like, you know, all these Bollywood stars who made millions of dollars selling these products, you know, speaking about Black Lives Matter, because all of these people get the same research. Okay, this is really popular right now, this movement. So put your horse behind this movement. Okay, uh, let's let, let's support this thing. They're never going to support something based on a principle if it's unpopular. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when Nike supported Cap, uh, they knew that it's going to boost their sales and it did boost their sales. Okay, it did boost their sales. So uh, they're not going to support like uh, Farrakhan, for example. Okay, they'll never support, you know what I mean? Like, they're not going to, they didn't support like, or go back in time and say, hey, we gave Mahmoud Abdul Rauf a bad rap. Right. You know what I mean? Why after uh, Craig Hodges won an NBA championship and like three three point shooting competition in the prime of his career, he couldn't get a contract? You know what I mean? Maybe we should go back and right those wrongs, but there's no popularity. People don't know about that. But if there's a big camp, viral campaign, then then a company would do that. Yeah. After it becomes viral, after it becomes criticized, after it becomes, uh, you know, uh, very, very popular, there's enough people behind it because then they just look at the numbers. Oh, wow, we can get this demographic. And they're manipulating people all the time. A lot of these companies that sell organic foods, they sell processed foods as well. Yep. They're just pandering to like people who are like, oh, why don't you pay extra for this organic food? We'll put organic on the label. Yeah. You know what I mean? But the framework is still in place. Okay. Like uh, all with all this conscious producing and marketing and, and, and things like that. But people get fooled very easily because people don't do their own research. They just follow whatever is popularized and, and so forth. So people get manipulated very, very easily by a lot of these different types of campaigns. But it's disingenuous. It's completely like it's not, uh, you know, something that they 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 made some self reflection and made some type of deep introspection that they thought, hey, we've been we've been wrong all this time. Maybe we've been perpetuating racism through our products, and now we should. Uh, completely turn the leaf. That's not the case. What if Black Lives Matter didn't happen? They would keep doing it. Not, they're not thinking with a consciousness. Their yeah. whole function is to uh, maintain, it's all about growth all the time. Growth, growth, growth. Stakeholders, yeah. stakeholders, stakeholders. That's, yeah. that's their primary motivation. Tell me a company that's willing to sacrifice 
its bottom dollar. Uh, you know, they're so fearful you know, of if that were, like a quarter if running out of their building, yeah. like rolling out of their building. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, and if they were actually willing to, you'd see that it's not, they wouldn't just put on an ethical product. They would actually make sure in that entire chain of who produces it, who manufactures it, who's actually creating that. Is that a little child in a sweatshop creating a shirt yeah. that says feminism, we're all equal? You know, so it's like, if, if they really cared, it was the entire process and not yeah. not just that product that they're, they're but Yeah, yeah. For another case of, uh, uh, like, we uh, should use the hypocrisy of Dove. This is something uh, I remember talking about uh, a few years ago. We did a course on uh, on heroes, uh, mm-hmm. where um, we're talking about Muslim heroes, right? Islamic heroes. And uh, I think one of the points we were trying to make is that if you look, if you get your uh, inspiration from from those who are just trying to maybe pander to you, then that's a very dangerous outcome rather than trying to get your inspiration from people who are authentic, right? Mm-hmm. And somebody who is authentic, by the way, at the end of the day, people will will love the fact that you are real. You, you understand what I'm saying? Um, even if they disagree with you, there there's something in that. You know, like if we look at Muhammad Ali, the reason why, it doesn't matter Muslim, non-Muslim, people who even hate Islam, they love Muhammad Ali because he was an authentic guy. He was authentic. Right. So being authentic, very important. Back to my point. Uh, Unilever, the company that makes Dove, also makes Axe. Okay, the Axe products. Okay. So here they're coming out with Dove, all these woke feminist type of skincare products. Let's show like all, you know, let's have all sorts of uh, women walk around in a commercial naked like you know, curvy women, like, you know, thin women, like, let's have everyone, you know what I mean? To show we're, we're all inclusive. Mm-hmm. First of all, from an Islamic perspective, we feel the human body, we honor men and women. Uh, and the, for us is to honor somebody is you cover, cover them, right? You know, you don't dishonor them by, you know, uh, have them walking around, prancing around naked and say that this is uh, equality, right? So here they're trying to show this wokeness, uh, oh yeah, we're all this, but they're the same company that did axe, which shows a guy sprays this axe or he has his axe thing. And then like hundreds of women are throwing themselves on him, taking off their, you, you know what I mean? So he's like such a player because he has all these, it's the same company. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's doing that. What are they doing? They understand. Okay. I'm going to pander to this demographic mm-hmm. and I'm going to get their money. I'm going to pander to this demographic and I'm going to get their money. And they understood this because they, they do, they have an entire department, part of their marketing, where they uh, have psychoanalysts, psychologists, they study people, their desires, their feelings, their trends, and how do we basically, it's a manipulation of hawa, okay, so from an Islamic perspective, hawa desires, how do you manipulate your desires to get you to buy this product, mm-hmm. okay, so um, we're if sex sells, sex sells. If wokeness sells, wokeness sells. You understand what I'm saying? If humor sells, humor sells. You know what I mean? We're just trying to get the sale. We're just trying to get your money. Exactly. You know what I mean? And then I just find it like how empty is your life that, you know, is are you going to be inspired with your life looking at a commercial? You know what I mean? You want to get inspired, read a book. Okay? Yeah. And start with the Quran. 
You know what I mean? Get, 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 you know, don't get inspired and don't get your life planned from a commercial. You know? Yeah. No, absolutely. So I have one final story for you. All right. So last scenario. Here we go. Okay. So imagine that you were um, at work and you received um, a letter that was, you know, quite hateful. It had a lot of, um, you know, profanity in it, a lot of inappropriate words, sentences, those sorts of things. So it's normally that you wouldn't, you know, say um, yourself. And so you're, you know, you kind of gather your, your team and you, and you read this out to them. Um, you know, would you read it word for word or would you paraphrase? What would you do? Well, yeah, if, uh, you know, you would you probably paraphrase like, you know, if yeah. you like a swear word, for example, mm-hmm. you might just say, oh, the F word. Yeah. Um, fair enough. Like so, yeah, fair enough. So you would like it wouldn't just be a verbatim thing. You would think about how you're going to present it and, and how people. Oh, would of take course. Yeah. You, you, ha- you have to be respectful. Yeah, absolutely. You know? yeah. So, um. You know, it, it's funny. So, so nowadays, I guess so many, um, you know, people in, in, in different positions are getting, um, you know, fired or facing consequences for the things that they say. And so um, Wendy Mesley is a CBC News um, host, and she's actually worked for them for, for decades now. Um, and she so back in the beginning of June, CBC had announced that they're doing um, they're basically taking like unspecified um, disciplinary action against this journalist. And we didn't know, you know, what what was happening or why. Um, and then um, essentially, like just a couple of days ago, she released a statement to say, you know, it was because I used a word. And yes, it is what people think. So she had used the N word um, okay. more than once in, in a meeting, um, you know, basically kind of describing a situation. So what she was trying to say, well, you know, contextually, I wasn't saying yeah. it as a slur. I was I was actually very passionate about anti-black racism. And I was just describing yeah. a situation and, and using that word. And so she's kind yeah. of saying, you know, people came and told me, it, you know, it was hurtful. I didn't really think about it. But, you know, that's what it is now. Um, and, you know, kind of aside from the whole N-word debate in, in general, um, even just a, a couple of years ago in Germany, um, a woman used the word like Nazi and she was arrested and fined for slander. And mm. so it was taken really, really seriously. This is a word that you can't use. And so mm. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and kind of get your thoughts, you know, about, you know, Wendy, was she wrong? Was it okay that she used it? Like in that context, was this too far? Um, you know, what do you kind of have to say about that? For her, she was saying, well, it's just context. Um, but, you know, mm. what do you think? Well, uh, I don't know if you can use the same example of what happened in Germany with what happened with uh, Wendy Mesley. Sure. But... Um, uh, before I uh, I give my comment on this particular issue, I will say, growing up, you know, I like um, I lived for a year uh, in a city that I had, like I lived cl- close to Detroit. So there's a lot of black people that I became friends with, and you know, I would interact with and things like that. So I lived with there, and one of my best friends that year, like um, it was a year that uh, I was in university. Uh, he was uh, of African descent, uh, but like. Um, what you would say African Canadian, like born, raised in Canada and stuff like that, right? So um, they mention that you'll have, you know, non-black people like uh, or some white people who will be friends with them and think they get a free pass to use the N word just because they have black friends. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you know, I've had friends too that would use racial slurs and think, okay, yeah, I can get away with it just because. Oh, you know, I have friends that are like this, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I've had people say like ridiculous things about Muslims and say, oh, you know, but I know like, you know, one of my dear colleagues <laughs> is yeah. a Muslim, right? Uh, and, I, and I remember thinking like, it doesn't matter if he's, he's a colleague, like you didn't even call him your friend. <laughs> so, so um, people think that sometimes they're above, oh yeah, these are, and I feel that this is um, endemic sometimes of people who have like this elite liberal type of mindset that, oh, we are, you know, at such a high intellectual level. When we say these words, like we are beyond repro reproach, mm -hmm. you know, we're just this morally pure class of society that uh, 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 should be above this type of uh, criticism. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, <laughs> anyhow, like um, this, uh, uh, in, in, in this particular case, yeah, I think she thought, oh, I can use it. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I'm part of the li elite liberal class and we have, uh, you know, we, we know what's good. We know what's best. You know, we, we, we're not like these, uh, you know, these, uh, other people who, um, you know, have uh, racist ideas and, and all these different things, but yet they have supremacist type of ideas and people historically who are part of like, you know, movements to bring equality, like, for example, the um, civil rights movement, there was some harsh criticisms Malcolm had, Mal Malcolm X had about these liberal elites, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and it's almost like when they, they have uh, or, or, or they speak to people who are different, but they show, hey, we're accepting of you, the way they almost, their attitude, you could tell, is from an arrogant and an attitude where we feel we're better than you, like the, sup the supremacist type of attitude, mm -hmm. you know? So it's kind of like, okay, you want to come to the, you, you want to say something? It's just like, okay, it's, it's like, you know, how if you have a daughter and you're going to have a, uh, like tea with them and stuff, it's ridiculous. You're sitting on the little chair, but you're doing it to like, Hey, yeah, you know, like, um, uh, you can wear your princess outfit and I'll wear, uh, and I'll wear princess outfit. Or yeah, you know, let me wear this scarf on my head and I'll look mm -hmm. like you and I'll sit. But you know, like I, I want to show that uh, I'm giving you your um, uh, your respect and all of that stuff. But it's very su it's all superficial. It's all superficial because uh, why would you um, not understand that what you said is very, very hurtful and take full responsibility for that or even have the audacity to say something like that? You know, because uh, you can give the context with just saying the n-word, like saying refer referencing it as the n-word, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? You don't need uh, to say it as you said it and just be unabashed and unapologetic and think, you know, I I'm already coming from a class of uh, virtuosity that you know I'm I'm beyond this reproach, you know. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I I think that also got her in, in trouble or this came to light or that she was reprimanded is because uh, I don't know if it was a conference call or in a, in a specific meeting, but there was a, a, a black producer, associate producer that was there. And then mm -hmm. she, I think has tweeted about this as well. So she's, you know, commented about that and, and she did not appreciate this whatsoever. And, uh, and so if her presence wasn't there, then maybe this wouldn't have been an issue. Exactly. You understand what I'm saying? Yep. So, uh, and one thing I, I would say, 
hundred percent because I've been around these types of people, you know, um, when they let their guard down, they speak very different in person, personally, they yeah. speak very different personally, you know, and when they get that secret recording of them, I think one of the best examples of that is that, uh, comedian Jim Jeffries. So Jim Jeffries, uh, has his own show where he, um, uh, he, he was almost like uh, standing up for the rights of Muslims. What was happening to uh, to Muslims? I forget where it was. Maybe it could have been in Australia. I don't know. Somewhere where he he has like this show type of thing, right? Like he, he's a comedian and it's like, you know, he's trying to maybe follow like this daily show type of format. I don't know. Like, but he, he was saying all this stuff about, um, yeah. you know, Muslims that, okay, they're, they're getting a bad rap, whatever. In person, this guy did a, a secret video of him and he was just like, he was saying Muslim babies should be killed. Like he was um, eaten by showing his hatred. Yeah. He was like, he was <laughs> like speaking so like, so hateful against Muslims. So here's a guy who's accepted and he he's, he's done videos and co comedic bits against like, um, for, for, for gun control, you know, so against like, you know, this whole like, uh, gun culture in U S he said that he's done stuff like that. He, you know, he's he's done uh, these types of comedic bits. So it's like, oh, wow, like white liberal elite, like, you know, this liberal elitist, you know, like he's so uh, like this hippie-ish type of attitude. Like, it's all good, man. You know, we're all like in this mm -hmm. thing together. But when you sit down and you see what they really feel like, that's just a front. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's just a front. If you want to now show some, like, even how they cover, like, uh, Muslims on, on on the CBC. They do it from a specific viewpoint. You know, you, know, you know what I mean? Like they have a very, very specific viewpoint. And anytime it's sympathetic, they give themselves two pats on the back. You know what I mean? Like we're, we should be like applauded. Like there should be a standing ovation. Like we gave some semblance of fairness, right? So for, for, for this, I think, yeah, structurally, um, yeah, she, she's like a symptom of, uh, of the problem. There is lack of representation. Yeah. They yeah. give a, a certain pandering. Oh, we have like these different people of color, whatever. But no one can really have a different opinion. Yeah. 100%. Nobody can have a different opinion. Yeah. And no one can really talk about from their value perspective and, and, and things like that. And for her to just, you know, say the, uh, say the N word, she, uh, you know, she's probably thinking in her head, oh, I'm pretty good at covering this up. And I got, you know, yeah. I let it slip. And, you know, it's like you give this apology. It's a hollow apology. I, I, frankly speaking, that's a you're you're still trying to justify what you're saying, and uh, and you can't justify that. You know, it's the second time that they have on record. Okay, that she's that she's done this. Who knows how many other times? But the attitude from which this emanates is problematic. It right. is a very problematic type of attitude. Oh, does that come out kind of your comments? I actually was thinking of, of a few things while you were speaking as well. I think, of course, like it speaks to the organizational culture, really, that she was able to say it so many times and only got called out when there was a person of color listening. Um, I think so. I, I kind of want to go back a little bit too, in terms of like the Nazi point. I guess my point was just to kind of say there's words that have a very deep loaded history. And sometimes mm. those are given more weight depending on who that history is associated with. And so, um, you know, when it comes to the N-word or when it comes to other racial slurs, those often, there's so much debate about whether it's okay or not, instead of just 
you know, kind of knowing about the deep history and just changing your vocabulary. But it's just kind of a point on that. But I think, again, this idea of um, your true nature coming out. So here, actually, in, um, it, you know, where I live, there's a video of somebody who, you know, he had a lot of racial slurs, it was on camera, and then his family came out and said, he's not like this. It's just, you know, this is just in the moment, he's not like this. But I'd argue, what kind of personality do you have that in the moments when you're irritated, when your true nature comes out, it's racial slurs or it's things like that. And I think it speaks to, you know, when it when it comes to our time in the grave, when we're asked those three questions, our true nature comes out. Um, and, mm. I, you know, it's true in our life as well. When we're under stress, whatever comes out, that's that's how you actually are. You got to wonder why someone's so comfortable saying that word if they never say it. And it's only in this context. Why does it roll so easily off your tongue that there's no hesitation? Um mm. The other thing, too, about that, the liberal class thing is just look at the way that they even portray their own people. So if it's someone that's white, but it's not from the same class, then they're trailer trash. Um, they're poor, dumb rednecks. They're dumb hicks mm. that are racist that are very far removed from them, um, which I think mm. is just, just such an interesting way of the way that you can just see that the way they view people. And if they view their own people like that, they're likely viewing you like that as well. Um, mm. Speaking to the CBC piece about the the representation piece it's actually funny when this whole um uh what is it called this whole blackface thing happened with trudeau they actually had a panel of people calling in like an online town hall on, on one of their um podcasts and mm. it was an entirely um white voices saying we don't think it's a big deal let's focus on something else it's not a big deal let's focus on other issues and you know it's quite frustrating i can imagine for you know any person of color and particularly a black person to to hear that and so i had um you know sent off an email being quite upset about that and saying there's no representation in this um you didn't talk about any diverse voices it was only one opinion and then a producer had actually got in touch with me um and had kind of convened a panel the next day with with you know other representative voices to to talk about this and they said we really appreciated that but i think it's interesting and and, and quite alarming i think it's great that they did that but it's also alarming to think that these kinds of checks and balances don't already exist and you mm. got to wonder why they don't exist um and maybe because those voices aren't even there at all and so i think that's it's just an interesting piece that these things will continue happening because no one's checking them. And the only time is when somebody has to, you know, that, that woman who is black had to hear the word, feel that trauma and then speak out against it. But it had, that had to happen before it was actually called out. Yeah, mm -hmm. just kind of a few thoughts I had while you were speaking. Yeah, no, Jazamakhar, uh, Rabia, you know, from the, uh, I always, anytime I, I look at these issues, I look at, okay, uh, how do we move forward from where we are at to where we should be? So, you, the, the problem is the way that uh, we we view each other and the way that we present ourselves. It's always like this facade, okay. and all. And then if a person breaks that facade, we go in also like wolves at the same time. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? So, uh, for for example, uh, say this blackface issue or this person saying um, racist things and his family is saying. Uh, oh, he's not really like that, right? Mm -hmm. I think like you have to look at it in two situations. One one level is that if you are truly repentant for yeah. what you have done or you have said, then you you need to afford other people the same mercy and forgiveness that you want. You, you know, mm -hmm. so um, with if you've done blackface. Even if you're a prime minister, 
be merciful and be forgiving with other people and understand other people's viewpoints. You know what I mean? Like, uh, don't just listen to show, hey, I'm a guy who listens. Mm -hmm. But listen and actually listen. You understand what I'm saying? Like, and don't just say, okay, but at the end of the day, I'm going to say what I want to say. And that's going to be the law. You know what I mean? You, you need to, you, you need to show that type of uh, ability to, to compromise. If you're a person who's made a, a mistake as a, you know, saying racist things, mm -hmm. then understand, like, look to yourself, where did that come from? You know, because it didn't, you know, it, it comes from that level of, you can miss it, make, the thing is, is that people can make mistakes. And from an Islamic perspective, we can make mistakes. But then also what happens is like we see when the facade somehow breaks, we also go in and just want to destroy people, yeah. you know. Uh, so, well, this guy's racist. Let's just completely destroy this this person. But because the core values, again, is like it's literally mob rule. Okay, which is whose mob is in charge at this point, you know, yeah. and who wants to take over? But again, a person who, who's, uh, you know, we should hold people to justice, but at the same time, and we should tell them, hey, you should be authentic. You shouldn't say that. Like, I, I think a caring family would say, listen, maybe he has to think about some of his ideas and thoughts because, of course, he's not going to say those racial things to you. You know what I mean? Of course, he's not going to like, who who's a criminal who does like bad things and then like goes and talks to their family about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Who's a womanizer and comes home and talks about it to his wife about his womanization? Who's a drug addict and comes back and talks to his kid about his drug addiction? You know what I mean? Who's like, oh yeah, I was with my buddies in the locker room and we were like talking like this about um, women and minorities. Like they don't do that. Like that's not like, okay, you have to understand that we all have dark sides to us. And, uh, and, th and that's just reality. Yep. And uh, again, how do we uplift ourselves as a society? We deal with our darkness. Um, we should be merciful. We should be forgiving. We should hold people to account, though. But everybody, you understand what I'm saying? Like she said the N-word right now, but how many unfair stories have there been against people of color, uh, against Muslims? You know, how, how come, like, you know, you have somebody who, like, you know, uh, a Muslim will come on and they will get grilled and get differential treatment? Like, such disrespectful treatment. Like, I, I've seen, like, uh, you know, Sheikh Jamal Badawi. This was many years ago. I saw him on a panel with Urshad Manji. And you would see the difference in how they treated Jamal, Dr. Jamal Badawi. Like, you know what I mean? Like, be fair. Be fair. Just because he doesn't have, like, a, you know, armies of, like, online warriors to, to, to help him, right? Doesn't mean you don't treat, the, uh, like, this man with fairness, right? So, let's be real. Let's talk about this in in a real way, but not in the problem is is when people come from it like they're this puritanical uh, position. Yeah. Where I am like untouched, like, oh, how did my family how did this happen? This is just a one time excuse. Yet you won't afford that forgiveness to other people. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that change I think needs to be on both ends, from the perpetrator and also from these people who are viewing this and trying to get justice be be consistent from where you want justice don't be morally selective don't just uh, just don't show this selective outrage i'm going to be outraged for these types of uh, issues and then for other issues oh that's not a big deal you know so um yeah like uh, and, and 
you know, I'm, I'm not one of those people that says, okay, we should now absolutely everything uh, now is off limits. So if anybody says, hey, you shouldn't use that word, I find that word offensive. That you can't go to that level as well. I think though we should still listen. We should yeah. listen because I've had people, for example, come to me and say, "Well, I found this joke offensive that you said in your lecture." And so I'm not gonna be. I, I said, "Okay, okay, thank you. You know, thanks for thanks for this feedback." I could say in my in personally, I might think in my mind, and I've done that. I'm like, Man, that's not a big deal. Like you can't take a joke, or that's not a big like. I yeah. can think that, but I just want to acknowledge to that person, hey, listen, I, I listen to you. I, and I will think about it. I'll say, I'll, I'll say, hey, is this something that could possibly hurt more people? And then it loses the purpose, the intention of the joke, yeah. right? So, for example, joking is to make people laugh, right? And, and I would say you're trying to make as many people laugh as possible. You're not just trying to make your one group laugh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I, I, I think of that, too. I'm like, okay, you know what? Maybe... Um, I can change this up a little bit so it wouldn't hurt up the, you know, this person's feelings, right? Yeah. I know there is a factor where some people are becoming too sensitive and we shouldn't necessarily pander to that hypersensitivity. But I think, again, look at everything in a balanced way. Always yeah. look to yourself. Is, is there an adjustment that I need to make? You know? And in Wendy Mesley's situation, she needs to make an adjustment. And I, I would say if she's truly repentant, right? If she truly wants to use um the opportunity that she has been afforded then give people a voice uh who with opinions she does not agree with at all yeah give them a voice and uh and be as merciful and forgiving to them as you would want to be afforded to yourself mm -hmm. that's such a good point so we covered a lot of uh, i guess news <laughs> <laughs> items <laughs> and <laughs> yeah yeah so um yeah inshallah we'll um we'll try to time to time discuss different news items in a different light inshallah you came up with some good ones and uh uh i think we we brought hopefully a, a different perspective into the minds of people inshallah for for listening and for your comments they're really insightful and very helpful and um, looking at it from an alternative ex uh, perspective. So to our viewers, uh, inshallah, uh, we will see you at the next podcast. Don't forget to, uh, I guess, what, what are what are some of the things we want them to do, Rabia? Well, we want them to subscribe, first of all. Um, share and subscribe. We actually, what's really helpful is we're across a lot of different platforms. So it's not just YouTube live. We also mm -hmm. um, are on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts on Spotify. So you can listen to it anywhere. So make sure to subscribe and share. If you find things that are beneficial, share it with people, you know, share it with your loved ones and your friends. All right. And as always, we try to live by the haq, die by the haq. And just when you think life is stuck, tune in to Life Haq. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.